Christi. We read in this 20th verse, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Ezekiel is dealing in this chapter with the issue of on what principles does God judge men? On what basis does God deal with his creatures? The Jews in captivity in Babylon were complaining that God was punishing them for the sins of their fathers. The Lord replies to them through Ezekiel that each person is judged according to his own sins. No son, for example, can use the bad example given him by his parents as a reason to excuse his own disobedience. Each individual is personally responsible before God. And so no one can use as an excuse before God what it was the kind of family I grew up in. By the same principle, the collective acceptance of certain sins in a society does not absolve the individual from guilt simply because he conforms to the majority around him. In a Christ-rejecting society, such as we live in, people feel very confident in their unbelief. It's normal not to be a Christian. It's cool and fashionable to condone certain sins. People feel confident because they are surrounded by like-minded people who also do not believe. But on the day of judgment, there will be no safety in numbers. Sin has dire consequences, whether committed by many or by few. Because as we are told here, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. It's as simple as that. And the word soul here means the whole person. God looks at the whole person, mind, body and spirit. Paul puts it like this in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived. Just another way of saying, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. And then, as we continue to look at verse 20, Ezekiel says, the son shall not bear the iniquity of the father. 
neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. And so, God's means of dealing with people is very straightforward. Each individual is personally accountable. And the principle stated here in verse 20 has already been stated in the law of Moses. If we look at Deuteronomy 24 and verse 16... Uh, Deuteronomy 24 and verse 16, we read this. The fathers shall not be put to death for the children. Neither shall the children be put to death for the fathers. Every man shall be put to death for his own sin. So notice how God's word emphasises personal responsibility regardless of environment or circumstances. Young children, when they are found out for some wrongdoing, often point to someone else and say, he made me do it. Not dissimilarly, our God-rejecting contemporary society likes to excuse sin and to look for other reasons to explain it. For example, our society likes to blame social inequality or deprivation for sin. Oh, they rioted because they lived in a socially deprived area. That is not a biblical argument. Our forebears in the 1930s knew great poverty. Poverty we could not imagine, but they did not riot. Society tends to point to factors such as insufficient amenities, poor housing, low economic expectations. All these are used for reasons to excuse sin. Now, there are social problems which have to be dealt with, yes. But no individual can say, I live on a run-down council estate, therefore I'm entitled to sin. That's just not an argument that can be used. And likewise, uh, people who are affluent have many temptations to sin precisely because of their affluence, but they can't use their affluence as an excuse. But we cannot use social environment to explain away knife crime, gang warfare and drug taking. The root of these problems is sin. 
Not because the government's not spending enough money on this or on that. Each individual is directly responsible to his or her maker. Whatever their personal circumstances might be. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Now, of course, if a man repents of sin and believes in Christ, he will live. And we need to understand, as we look at Ezekiel 18, what exactly this term live and the corresponding term die really mean. The righteous will live, the wicked will die, we are being taught. Well, what does it mean? The righteous will live, the wicked will die. Well, to understand the use of these terms, we need to go to Luke chapter 10 and verse 25. Luke 10, verse 25. And uh, we read there, Concerning our Lord, behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life. He said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind and thy neighbour as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right. This do and thou shalt live. This do and thou shalt live, Luke 10, 28. So what does the Lord mean there when he says, thou shalt live? He means that the man will possess everlasting life. He will have spiritual life, which leads to eternal life. And likewise, when we read here in this verse 20, the soul that sinneth, it shall die, we are talking about God's everlasting condemnation. The man who keeps on sinning is spiritually dead and he's in a death which leads to an eternal death. He is governed by the lusts and passions of his fallen nature. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. In Ephesians 2, 1, Paul says that all men without Christ are dead in trespasses and sins. They are are devoid of spiritual life and they are under the condemnation of God. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Now, a man's soul, as we have said, is his essential self. And it particularly focuses on the inward man, all that motivates him in his heart. Until a, a man is born again, he is excluded from the favour of God, which is the life and bliss of the soul. The man without Christ is the enemy of God. 
Although he physically breathes, although he is physically alive, he is dead, spiritually speaking. And this spiritual death will be an eternal death. And that is what Ezekiel means when he says, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. This spiritual death includes the judgment and condemnation of God. But verse 21, if the wicked will turn from all his sins that he hath committed and keep all my statutes and do that which is lawful and right, he shall surely live. He shall not die. Again, notice the live-die contrast. Now, whilst no man is saved by his works, the word of God here is making an inextricable link between eternal life and obedience to God's commandments. The one clear evidence that someone possesses spiritual life leading to eternal life is holiness. That is, keeping God's laws. Uh, Very important in, in this context is 1 John 3, verse 9 and 10. 1 John 3, verse 9 where we read, whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. That's what the original language says. He does not commit sin. It's a present tense in the Greek. It's not his ongoing activity. For his seed, God's seed, remaineth in him. And he cannot sin because he is born of God. In this, the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. So, a life of general obedience to God's commandments is the mark of being born again. It's not a, it's not a profession. Now, A profession of faith is very important, but it's not actually the evidence that one is truly born again. Anyone can say that they are a Christian. But the evidence is in a holy life. Now let us further note in in this verse 21 of Ezekiel 18, the absolute necessity of Repentance. There is no Christian gospel without repentance. Receiving new life in Christ is not automatic. Upon conviction by the power of the Holy Spirit, whereby the non-believer is made to feel the horror of his sin, there must then be a conscious resolve to turn from all sin. Not just as a one-off act, but as an ongoing way of life. And a call to repentance is at the heart of the Christian gospel. That the coming of Christ into this world was preceded by the ministry of John the Baptist. Now we read in Matthew 3 and verse 1, 
In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. So the coming of the Messiah and the reception of his blessings must be preceded by people turning from their sins. And that is why John's ministry preceded our Lord's ministry. For the kingdom of Christ to be established in the hearts of men, there must first be repentance. Accordingly, Paul preaching in Athens, a very sophisticated place, the intellectual capital of the known world. But what does Paul talk about in Athens? Repentance. Acts 17, verse 30. God now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness. And so that is the heart of the gospel. There is no gospel without a call to repentance. Verse 22, Ezekiel continues, concerning the wicked man who repents. All his transgressions that he hath committed, they shall not be mentioned unto him. In his righteousness that he hath done, he shall live. So here we see the great mercy of God. Where there is true repentance, God does not keep records and harbour grievances. There will be no mention of a man's former sins, we are told here. And this reminds us of Psalm 103. Psalm 103, verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. And so here Ezekiel is magnifying the grace of God. And he says concerning the wicked man in this verse 22, at the end of verse 22, in his righteousness that he hath done, he shall live. And so notice, it is in his righteousness he shall live. It's not because of his righteousness he shall live, it's in his righteousness he shall live. 
The new life of obedience is the evidence of true repentance and trust in God's mercy. And so, whatever someone has done in the past, if he has truly repented, he shall live. He shall be restored to the favour of God, which is the life of the soul. And he shall no longer lie under God's wrath. And the mercy of God is also brought out in verse 23 here. God declares... Have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, saith the Lord God, and not that he should return from his ways and live? And so God does not delight to punish the wicked. He will punish the wicked, but he would much rather that the wicked repent. God has not created a single human being merely in order that he might be glorified in that wicked man's condemnation. God's desire from all eternity is that those whom he has created might be saved despite their wickedness. We read in the book of Micah, Micah 7, verse 18. Who is a God like unto thee, that pardoneth iniquity, and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever, because he delighteth in mercy. Now, some might argue that the word of God is contradictory here. Because the Lord says through Solomon in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 1, verse 24, Because I have called and ye refused, I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded, I also will laugh at your calamity, I will mock when your fear cometh. And God says that to those who... Refuse to repent. Proverbs 1.26, he says, I will laugh at your calamity when it comes upon you, and I will mock when you are reduced to trembling fear, but continue to disbelieve. So yes, it is true that where men stubbornly disregard God's warnings, and persistently refuse to repent, that God, in his perfect holiness, will take satisfaction in the exercise of his justice against the unrepentant. He will take satisfaction in condemning the just. But that in no way negates his primary desire to grant men mercy. As Peter tells us, 2 Peter 3, verse 9, the Lord is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Not 
that all should be saved regardless of repentance, but that they should come to repentance. So God is not saying, I'm just going to forgive everyone. No, he's saying that men must come to repentance. So God in his sovereignty wills the salvation of the sinner. But he does not do it in such a way as to negate the personal responsibility of the sinner to repent and believe. We read in this verse 23 here, That the unbeliever must return from his ways. This means that every non-believer must repent from all his sinful ways. Not just some of them, all of them. And if, if we just move on to verse 30 of this chapter for a moment, we read there. In the second half of verse 30, repent and turn yourselves from all your transgressions. So iniquity shall not be your ruin. And so if someone does not turn from all sins, in reality, he turns from no sins. Because there is the same reason why a man should turn from all sin as from one sin. Namely, what God has commanded. And so if someone turns from one or two sins but retains other sins... In their retention of the other sins, they are showing that they still hate God in their heart. And if a man breaks one aspect of God's law, he breaks the whole law. So repentance must be total. And it must be with all the heart. It must be repentance from all sin. And then verse 24. But when the righteous turneth away from his righteousness and committeth iniquity and doeth according to all the abominations that the wicked man doeth, shall he live? This is an interesting question. All his righteousness that he hath done shall not be mentioned. In his trespass that he hath trespassed and in his sin that he hath sinned, In them shall he die. So just as the Lord forgets the wickedness of the truly repentant sinner, so he also forgets the righteousness of the man who once seemed to be on a right path, but who then turns back to his sin. In other words, no Christian can rest upon his or her laurels. Rather, the primary issue for each believer is, am I being faithful to Christ right now? 
former righteousness cannot compensate for present sin. This is what we're being taught here. When the righteous turneth away from his righteousness and committeth iniquity and doeth according to all the abominations of the wicked, that the wicked man doeth, shall he live? No, he will not live. All his former righteousness that he hath done shall not be mentioned. One commentator puts it like this. Old righteousness will not help a revolting saint who revolts in the present. The Lord tells us that it is those who endure to the end who will be saved, not those who choose holiness in fits and starts. Now, the Lord, it is true, will not forget the faithful deeds of those who continue in holiness. In Hebrews 6, we are told that God will not forget the former righteous works of believers. But the passage makes it plain that the Lord not forgetting is only in the context of a perseverance in faith and holiness to the very end. So let's just look at that passage uh, for a moment. Hebrews 6, verse 10. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labour of love, which ye have showed toward his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience Inherit the promises. Patience means enduring to the end. So emphasising the need to build upon initial holiness, we are being told that we must remain diligent in it unto the very end. The Apostle John makes the same point in his second epistle. Uh, The second epistle of John and verse 8. Second epistle of John, verse 8. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. And so there John is saying, take care. Look to yourselves. There is the need for careful consideration, even in the heart of the mature believer, that there is no slackening of urgency in pursuing a perfection of holiness. The Christian life demands constant vigilance. Because as Paul warns us, In 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 12, 
Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Now, we are, as we know, as we personally experience, we are in a spiritual battle. Galatians 5:17, the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. Now, if we are foolish enough to quench the spirit's work within us, then we cannot do the things that we would do. But if we walk in the Spirit, then Christ's power within us is more than sufficient to overcome the dictates of the flesh. Now, interestingly, in Galatians 5.17, the Greek literally states, the flesh lusteth against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye may not do the things that ye would. So Paul is not saying that the conflict between the flesh and the spirit makes sin inevitable. He merely states that this conflict may lead to sinning if we are careless. But he is not teaching that we are incapable of overcoming the dictates of the flesh. Quite the opposite, in fact. Because Paul has just stated in the previous verse, Galatians 5, verse 16, Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfil the lust of the flesh. So there we have a wonderful promise. We will not be overcome by the flesh if we walk in the Spirit. And you know, what is being filled with the Spirit? It's keeping God's commandments. It's not necessarily having an emotional experience. Walking in the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, is being obedient. It's overcoming the flesh. It's seeing sin approach. See, that's a work of the Spirit. We think of situations. We think, right, well, I'm not even going to go to that place because there might be potential for sin. That's the Spirit's work. So, if a believer does fall into sin, and sadly we all all know that that happens, if a believer does fall into sin, it is through his own neglect. It is his own fault. He cannot argue, well, the flesh got the better of me. I couldn't help it. No, because Paul says, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So if as believers we fall into sin, the Lord will hold us accountable for that. That's what verse 24 is saying. When the righteous turneth away from his righteousness and committeth iniquity and doeth according to all the abominations that the wicked man doeth, Shall he live? And of course, Ezekiel is talking about ongoing behaviour here. Uh, He's not talking about uh, falling into a, a single lapse momentarily of sin. 
And so we are being taught that having repented of sin, the rest of our Christian lives should be a work of repentance. We are constantly turning from sin in the power of the Spirit. And so we see that the message of these verses, we've looked at uh, verses 20 to 24, is that each individual is personally accountable to God. And we have learnt that sin always has consequences. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. This is the fundamentals of the Christian faith. Here in Ezekiel 18, we have the fundamentals of the Christian gospel. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The wages of sin is death. And we're also told, it's a very important point, because people do get confused about this, the son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. So no one can blame their environment for their sin. God commands all men everywhere to repent. And we have also been taught that those who do repent must then persevere in holiness. We are not just called to take salvation and then carry on living as we did before. That is to mock God. Now there is a wonderful assurance in these verses. For the worst of sinners, that whatever they have done, if there is repentance from the heart, God will be merciful. And we need to be compassionate to those who have fallen into the worst of sins. Because are we any better? And so there must be repentance for God's mercy to be received. And there must be repentance from all sin, not just some sin. All his transgressions that he hath committed, they shall not be mentioned unto him. God's forgiveness is total, but the repentance must be total. Now, we've also been taught that God has no pleasure in the condemnation of the wicked man. He will condemn the wicked man, but he desires that the wicked should turn from his ways and live. Verse 23. Salvation is all of God's grace. We can never earn our salvation through our works. But those who are saved by grace must walk in the Spirit. And our goal must be never to return again to sin. If we are born again, we have the Spirit of Christ 
And that means we have the potential to overcome all sin. But we have to be diligent, we have to be watchful, and we have to persevere in holiness to the very end. May God give us the grace so to do. Amen.